you may not know this about me, but I, uh, I love history, I love sociology, and if you've been paying attention to the world, you are like, gosh, our world is crashing and burning. And here's what's super fun, when you start thinking about, when did the crashing and burning start? Right, so if you kind of think of throughout all of human history, all of American history, when was the decline? Everyone knows we're in decline, but when was the decline? Was it a certain piece of legislation? Was it a war? Was it a reaction? Was it some historical moment? All right, do you have, I, I don't want you to say it loud, but I want you to think of that event that marked the decline of America. Well, for me, this is my marker. It was 1987. It's when the mixtape became popular. Raise your hand. Any of you guys did mixtapes? Older people, uh, maybe mixed CDs, and, uh, and all the young folks, Spotify playlists, right? Well, the mixtape was actually the beginning of the downfall of America and maybe the whole world. And you just have to bear with me, but this is, this is my thinking behind it. There was a time when humans, Americans, we would gather and we would enjoy music together. We would go to concerts and we'd go to festivals and the artists and the musicians would present to us their art and we would consume it and we would enjoy it, right? Or we'd get an, a record or an eight track, that's for you, Jens, right? And you have to listen to the thing all the way through. But all of a sudden we said, no, we deserve more. We deserve what we want when we want it. And so we began to take, cut and paste all different pieces of music, put them together on a, on a tape, and then we could make, you know, songs for our girlfriends or songs for, you know, a hate mail to a friend that we didn't like or songs that we just love to get down to, right? So, and then we could do, all of a sudden CDs, we could do it more and more. But then with Spotify and with um, I, I, Apple Tunes or whatever, we could then have the, the AirPods in our ears. And now we could do this, but instead of sharing it with each other, we ended up sharing it only with ourselves. And so all of a sudden we became more and more isolated, more and more individualized. And now when you ask kids, hey, let's listen to music together, everyone's like, no, I don't want to share my music because I have my music, you have your music, and there's very little music in common. Even this week, Jeff and I were driving somewhere and we were talking about even in worship music, you come to our church and we need to sing these songs. You go to another church and you sing other songs. And there's very few things that we have in common. Well, that's the beginning. And if you think of COVID, COVID even just doubled down on all that because we now had the rhythm of only consuming the media that we wanted when we wanted. And now we got sheltered in place and we could only interact with the people that we wanted when we wanted in our own terms. And we may not realize this, but we have actually become fully isolated from one another. Right? Our, our news feeds are only what we want to read. The friendships we interact with are only the friendships we want to interact with. And we've like limited our lives to become these very self-contained individual lives. And what's interesting is we've isolated people from music, how we raise our kids, our political differences, how we've reacted to COVID and masks, um, how we understand all the racial dynamics that are happening in the country. Right? If, you, if someone's differing than you, you're like, oh, that's too much distance, and we separate ourselves from them. And I hear story after story of people who have lost friendships, 30-year friendships because of a different perspective on something thrown away. Or people just reflecting over the course of, of this, this year, their friendships have just, just, have just um, scattered, have just gone away, and there's some brokenness, and no one even really knows why. And I think part of that is because, because we become so isolated, we become mind readers, and when we think of other people, we say, oh, you must believe this, you must believe that. And then we're mind readers instead of being learners who are growing in empathy. And last week, Jeff did an incredible sermon about restoring our hearts. 
And this whole series about restoration is that God does not want to leave us the same. He wants to mold us and shape us and heal us. And as God does that internally, the next step of a restored heart, our Christians, our people who love God are, what, are ready to restore the broken relationships that, God, that, that are in front of us. And we can only do that through the Holy Spirit and through the power of God. So this morning, we're going to take a look at this idea of how in the world do we restore our broken friendships, right? We think of all the ways that our friendships have been stressed and strained over this last year. How in the world are we going to begin to restore them? Well, I was praying a lot the last couple of weeks thinking, God, where do we go in this message? Where do we go in the passage of scripture? And I kept coming back to the same passage of scripture. And I'm like, God, you have to give me something different because this passage of scripture is so boring. It's so boring. And as a preacher, like how in the world do you preach it? And as someone who listens to it, you're like, it's so boring. Because the truth is when we come to scripture, we love the scriptures that, you know, that are fascinating in their history or that are just so deep in their theology or they just inspire us spiritually. We love those passages of scripture. We love those sermons. But I kept coming back to this brutal passage of scripture that is just boring, plain, hard, practicality. But I think if we're going to actually restore friendships, we actually need some of the tools, some of the practical helps modeled by Jesus in order to begin to restore these friendships. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 15, verse 12 through 13, and that's where we're going to begin today. So Jesus says this, love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And we know the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, but Jesus has a new commandment I give you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like that's like, great, that's a good starter. But Jesus says, no, you're to love one another the way that I have loved you. For there is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. And then we're gonna see through the story of Jesus, through Jesus' entire life, that Jesus actually had no problem extending dignity and grace to any and everyone. That was the model of Jesus. Jesus' very posture modeled this. He was willing to lay down his life for his friends, and as we'll see, even for his enemies. But how in the world did Jesus do this? I mean, he is God, but he's also fully human, and he lived in such a way that we actually can model our life after him. So it wasn't just this supernatural thing that happens. There were some very practical things that Jesus did, and it began all the way in his baptism. When Jesus was baptized, right, remember the story, the dove comes down from heaven and says, you are my son who I'm well pleased. But then he immediately goes into the, 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 the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days. And his identity is picked at by Satan for 40 days. But after those 40 days of understanding who his identity is, of being tempted, he now goes, yes, I am Jesus the Messiah. I am God's son. And because of his identity being sure and his calling being sure, he is then able to interact with all sorts of squirrely humans. Right? And the first people we think about when Jesus interacts with are the disciples, are the, are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We love those passages of scripture where Jesus debates the Pharisees, debates the, the Sadducees. And we think that Jesus is God. And so he just all of a sudden knew all the scriptures. But Jesus was also fully human. He had to actually do all the work. Like all the Jewish boys that he grew up with, he had to learn the Torah, memorize the Torah. And because of his connection to the Spirit, his wisdom was incredible. But he had to learn and understand the scriptures. He had to be a learner of people. He, when he engaged the disciples, right, he was able to talk with them. He says, you've heard it say this, but now I am saying this. 
The second thing that he did, which I love, he wasn't just a learner with intellectually, he was someone who was fascinated by people. And I realize this by, about me, but I'm very, I'm not fascinated at all with people, right? Mostly because I'm just busy. But the reality is if you change your posture and you become fascinated with other people, you understand who they are and their backstory, and you're compelled, your heart is drawn to them when you realize, oh my goodness, all of these things that have shaped who you are. And Jesus always had time for people. He sat with them and he understood them and he made space for them, right? I think of like the, the woman in the, at the well, I think of the tax collector, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, the, the person who was um, demon-possessed and naked and homeless, uh, the poor, the rich, the centurion, religious leaders, the women caught in adultery, Joseph of Arimathea, right? All of these people, like all of the range of people, Jesus interacted with them, and he interacted with them not all the same. What I love about all the ways that Jesus interacted with people is he saw their individual humanity, their individual dignity, their individual need, and he came because he was fascinated with them, knew exactly what to bring to them. And then what's incredible about, about Jesus is even when he dies on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, even to the point of his enemies, the very people who were actually torturing and crucifying him, Jesus was able to forgive them. That's like master's level, um, loving your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus models that. And then what I love about Pentecost is ultimately when Jesus goes, uh, ascends into heaven and Pentecost comes, recognizing the, the teaching of scriptures that we now are the body of Christ. We are not all the same. We're all hands and feet and fingers and pancreases and tongues and all the internal organs and the parts that have honor and the parts that don't have honor. Like God knew that we were all supposed to be different. And so why we think we should all be the same is so, so boring. So Jesus in his ministry on earth and Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit longs for us to be different, to know how to interact with people, to have the internal fortitude to be able to actually care for one another, love one another, and even restore challenging friendships. All right, here's another tidbit about me that you may not know. I am a sucker when it comes to sales. My wife and I, we bought a Kirby. I mean, that's how bad it is for us. When someone comes to your door and says, you want to buy a $500 um, vacuum cleaner, and we say yes, that's the level of uh, in mental fortitude that I have. But I, uh, I love being sold things, um, and so I'm, one of the things that always gets me is infomercials. I don't know, is, are late night infomercials even a thing? Well, there used to be, you'd stay up late at night, right? And after all the good normal shows go off, then there'd be infomercials and like as seen on TV. And I would, I bought a speed reading course. Um, I've bought um, knives. I've bought um, everything. But this is, this is my favorite one. This is my favorite um, infomercial. It's how to lose weight without dieting. This is my dream. This is my dream. You mean all I have to do is eat and I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to have a chiseled body, that is awesome. And so it's only $300 done, especially if it's like 20 payments of $19.99. How the math works, I don't know. But I'm all in. And then it comes, and then you realize, oh, there is actual work to be done. Because the infomercial, they get you thinking, no, no, this is what I have to sell you, and if you do this thing, then you are going to be set. But the truth is, all things come with work. And this idea of a restored friendship, this idea of restored relationships and watching the ministry of Jesus doesn't just come by praying about it. It actually takes work, right? If you want to know how to lose weight without dieting, it actually means exercise and dieting, unfortunately. 
but it takes work day in and day out. And if we're going to have restored friendships, there's certain practical things that we have to do. So what I do is I encourage you to take out your phone or some little piece of paper to write these down because I have five really practical things modeled by the life of Jesus that we should be doing if we want to start building back some strained friendships and broken relationships. And then I have three spiritual um, implications about those. All right. So take out your phone. You can tag me on Instagram, the real Ben Kearns. Whoop. And, uh, and then make sure you take some notes here. So here they are. So the bottom line is this, like Jesus, we too should have no problem extending dignity and grace to any and everyone. That's Jesus's ministry. Jesus did it, but as followers of Christ, like Jesus, we should, we also, that should be our bread and butter. We should have no problem extending dignity and grace to any and everyone. And we are living the most polarized moment, it feels like, in all of human history. And it feels like you get all the brownie points if you can actually cut off friendships because they're not like you. But the ministry of Jesus is no. Dignity and grace to any and everyone. All right, here's the five things. Number one, one, like Jesus, we have to deepen our understanding of our identity. Our identity is not in our political affiliation. It is not even in our gender or in our sexuality or in our economics. Uh, it is none of those things. Our identity is found in Christ. And when our identity is found in Christ, we can actually withstand all the chaos of the world around us. And we know this to be the case because I don't know about you, but if you've ever volunteered in your kid's classroom or, or if you've ever hung out with little kids, I remember when my kids were little, I would go to a kindergarten classroom and I'd see all these little kindergartners and they'd be like, huh, you're stupid. Or they would say something kind of stupid, right? But I wouldn't even really consider because like, they're kindergartners. And you know when a kindergartner, whatever their opinion is, you're like, you still wet the bed. Like you're like, compared to you, I'm totally differentiated. I am an adult man and you're a little kid. And so you realize a kindergartner, what they say, has very little impact on your emotional well-being. It's because you know your identity compared to that element, to that kindergartner. But in the same way, the more we grow in our relationship with Christ, the more we understand our identity, the more all of our peers, people who are just like us, who have more power than us, more resources than us, smarter than us, whatever, whatever their opinion is or their thoughts are, we can handle that because our identity is rooted in Christ. The second is this, that we are to be a learner. Just like Jesus, we actually have to learn and understand how the world works. And this is a total like shocker thing, but you do not know everything. But we all think we do. And I love, I love everyone I'm talking to is like, can you believe the fake news? And everyone's posture is really like, because they watch the fake news. I don't but they do. And it's like, this is our posture. It's like the, that old uh, Indian proverb about the elephant, like the ear and the trunk, you know, everyone touches one part of it. Well, we all think we see the whole elephant and just as those poor rubes who only see the ear, we see the whole elephant. But the truth is we don't. We need each other. We need other people's perspectives and backgrounds and convictions and thoughts. That's how we grow as people. And when we're learners, instead of being offended by people who see the world differently than us, we actually get to grow in our understanding the third is this, like Jesus, we are to be fascinated with people. Not just to be a learner for understanding our intellect, but to be fascinated by people. I love hearing people's backstories. I am blown away at people's backstories. And in fact, if you want to know the number one person who is retired, and so we'll, we'll do this, he can't hear as well, but he would hang out with you, is Bob Hess. Bob Hess has the most incredible backstory of anyone in our church. And when you actually sit down and you hang out with him and you hear about his childhood and you hear how he came to know Christ and you hear about his marriage and you hear about his whole life, you're like, oh my goodness, you are an incredible man. 
And whatever thing like, that drives me crazy about Bob is gets so small in comparison to understanding who he is in, this, in his total being. So thanks, Bob, for being that person. Number four, we actually want to love the way that we want to be loved. Jesus says it this way, judge the way that you want to be judged. What's interesting is every single one of us have all the grace for ourselves. When I make a bad decision, I know all the reasons that went into making that bad decision. I had a bad day. I had a bad moment. I'm actually a good person, but you don't even know, right? We have all the grace for ourselves, but yet everybody else gets judged by their single most awful moment. I mean, I don't know about you, but I watched American Idol, and this poor 16-year-old kid, you know, had a picture of himself with a, when he was 12 being a, a goober, and he got kicked off American Idol when he was 12, for something he did when he was 12, right? That's our culture, the worst moment we cut people out. But as Christians and followers of Christ, we extend the same grace and dignity that we want for ourselves to others. So we love the way that we want to love. And here's number five. This is the hard one. Some of you guys have already gotten this down. This is for you people on Zoom. But I would encourage you, to consider coming back to church. And this is why. Listen, there's plenty of people in the room. There's tons of generous people who are helping the, this, our budget happen. So this isn't like a selfish thing that I need or are insecure about. But we don't know how to interact with each other who are with people. We don't know how to interact with people who are different. And what I love about our church is there's people from every walk of life who come to this church. And by us showing up on a Sunday and interacting with people who are not like us, we're going to get the practice of growing in dignity and grace and learning how to build back our friendships with one another. So these are things. Deepen your, your identity. Be a learner. Be fascinated. Love others the way that you want to be loved. And simply come back so that you can rub shoulders with people who are not like you. And I think our church is actually a pretty safe place to begin the process of being around people who are not totally like you because you guys who are here are the most kindest, generous, warm-hearted people I know. You are why we actually have a great testimony here in Marin. All right, so those are the practical things, but here is the spiritual implications. This is where um, I just get super excited because even if you like, don't even care about God, if you're not a Christian, if you're just a normal human being, those five things, those are like great practical things that anybody from any walk of life can be like, yes, that'll make my life better. And because we're all made in the image of God, it would make sense that following Jesus and following his ministry would be a way to make those things better. But it's because of Pentecost, it's because of the Holy Spirit that actually gives us a deeper motivation, a deeper call that I'd like to invite us into this morning. Okay, and it is this. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power and the grace to love like Jesus as we are ministers of reconciliation. I mean, we're Christians. Just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean we're immune from hard things, from challenging things, from broken friendships, from broken relationships. Many of us have been grieving friendships and brokenness this entire year. So we're not immune to it. It's not like you're a Christian, those things don't happen. They happen to us. We as Christians, though, at least have the Holy Spirit. We have this motivation. We have this internal power given to us from God to begin to reconcile with one another, to begin to see one another and care for one another and to begin these, to build these bridges back. And so I have three quick things that I think are important for us to understand. And one is, is this, is to, for us to understand that as a follower of Christ, you are an ambassador of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this same message of reconciliation. Because we are now ambassadors, just like God has forgiven us from all of our wild and crazy sins and all the ways that we have steamrolled and crushed people and crushed him, God has forgiven us. And now we, because we're ambassadors of reconciliation, we now bring that to other people. Which means when other people have wronged us or wronged one another, we bring with us the Holy Spirit and we become this bridge between two broken people. We are priests. That's what a priest is. A priest is someone who stands between this holy God and sinful human beings and they stand in the middle reconciling that relationship. And that is us. If you said yes to Christ and the Holy Spirit is inside you because of Pentecost, you are a minister of reconciliation. You're an ambassador of reconciliation. You are on God's team to accomplish that. Here's a really practical way to do that. This is a hard one, but we are now called to actually absorb other people's dysfunction. I know. This is what I mean by that. There are prickly people. There are broken people. But because we are ambassadors of reconciliation, we now know how to forgive. We should be at master's level ability to forgive one another. And so when someone says something stupid, when someone offends us, when someone makes a mistake, when someone crashes and and burns us for the 70 times 70th time, because we're followers of Christ, we can actually stand in the gap. Um, I like this image, it's this idea of a shock absorber, right? When you're going down a bumpy road and you have like your tires are going down this bumpy road, but then you and people in the car are like, oh, this is really great if you have a nicer car. If you don't, then you're in big trouble, right? But the shock absorber is the piece of the car that absorbs all of that pain, all that suffering, all that challenge. I love in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we're to make every effort to live in peace with everyone. There's so many prickly people. Some of you guys are so prickly. That's okay. But as Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we actually can stand in the middle gap of prickly people and be shock absorbers to take people's pain, to take people's dysfunction, and to be ambassadors of reconciliation to them. And here's the last part. This is the part that gets me the most excited because it's not only for your own personal healing, and it's not only for the healing of your friendships, but it's actually for the sake of the gospel. That we're to make every effort to identify with people, to meet people where they're at, so that they can come and be on the journey with us towards Christ. If we're like the only way that you're going to be able to move towards Christ is if you have all the weird sensibilities of a middle-aged white senior pastor with two kids who lives in Novato. Like, what, like if you have to be like me in order to find Christ, like our church can be super small. Like that's not a good church to be a part of anyway, right? The deal is that we want to understand where people are at and help them wherever they're at to move towards Christ. I love that how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What's funny is this is my favorite teaching, but if you really think about it, it is such an offensive teaching. It says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I have become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. 
And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in his blessings. Like that verse compels me. It motivates me. It's what we are called to do as Christians, that we identify with the weak, with the broken, with the strong, and we find out where they're at. We're fascinated by them. We love them. We forgive them. And we walk with them towards Christ. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. I was thinking of, you know, to the Jews, I become like the Jews like this. But think about this. I mean, this is how it is offensive. To the conservative, I become conservative. To the progressive, I become progressive. To the educated, I become educated. To the uneducated, I become even more uneducated. To the fundamentalist, I can get on that board all, that, all day with that. To the deconstructionist, I can get all on board all day with that. To those who are vaccinated, to those who have vaccine hesitancy, to Republicans, to Democrats, to any single person in Marin, whoever they are, I want to understand who they are. I want to walk with them towards Christ. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is the call of our church at Marin Covenant Church. And recognizing that broken relationships is a challenging thing that all of us are experiencing. And think about this. If we in the church are experiencing broken relationships at record level, how much more are people who could care less about forgiveness and could care less about grace experiencing them? Which means even more we as the church, as ambassadors of Christ, are called and compelled to meet people where they're at and to walk with them for the sake of the gospel. And what I love is no matter where you are this moment, we can reflect back because in season and out of season, God never changes. God is always faithful. God's posture towards us is one of continual restoration, of continual forgiveness. And so we're gonna trust that God is gonna continue to heal us, that God's gonna continue to heal our broken friendships that God's gonna give us the strength to forgive one another and that God is gonna use us individually and us corporately so that this world will understand God's dignity, God's grace, and God's mercy. He did it once before and we're counting on him to do it again. Amen and amen.